Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Hello, and welcome to episode 91 of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. And this week, we have a story from Colorado. We're going to do things a little differently because, well, to tell you the truth, we could probably spend two months on this story. Longer, probably. We're going to cut the paranormal, and we're just going to venture into the story, both of us, from kind of different angles. Mom's going to tell more detail aspects of it, and then I get to talk theories. There we go. (laughs) I chose the beverage, and of course, Colorado. We got to have beer. Sorry. Exactly. So she chose the beverage, and then her job basically stopped there. It did. (laughs) But since it's beer, I chose one that I enjoy also. Yes, so we're actually going to enjoy the beer together. Which happens to be Blue Moon. It was actually called Belly Slide Wit first, Mom. Belly Belly Slide slide Wit. Belly Slide, do you know what that maybe sounds like to you? No. It's a baseball term. Yeah, that's why we have no <laughs> clue. It's like sliding into base on your belly. Sliding into base on your belly. Yes, it's exactly so right. So smart. Their story actually begins in the Sandlot Brewery at Coors Field in Denver, Colorado. Oh. it It's a baseball beer. I had no idea. And boy, how appropriate since you're kind of a baseball kind of gal. I am. And I had no idea. And, oh, by the way, according to their website, the brewer of this, the pers- the brewmaster, mm-hmm. his name was Keith Villa, Via, I don't know. You know, my pronunciations are great. V-I-L-L-A. Villa. Uh, Villa Via. <laughs> Whatever. <clears throat> he has a PhD in brewing. Did you know you could get a PhD in brewing? No, but how fun would that be? From the University of Brussels. It'd probably be a lot of chemistry, though. Just thinking. And I can't think like that, so I'd never be able so to. I would it. be taste tester. You could, could not taste be a food. brewer. Moving on. So he moved to the States and really liked the Belgian-styled beers. Mm-hmm. And so he came up with the Belly Slide Wit. And then somebody said, a beer this good only comes around once in a blue moon. <laughs> Great. And thus, Blue Moon Belgian White Belgian Style Wheat Ale was born. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Uh, Okay, so Belly Slide, get that. Where's the wit? Would that be the wheat beer, kind of? Well, I actually found an American wheat beer. There's also a wit beer. It's W-I-T-B-I-E-R. And then there's a Hefeweizen. They're all different. Okay. I guess broadly you could say a wheat beer Mm -hmm. is any beer where a substantial portion of the grain used in brewing is wheat. So like your 
craft beer is usually like malted barley. Like that's where you get that malts. So the belly slider wit. It's a wit. Then a wit beer. W-I-T-B-I-E-R. The word literally translates from Dutch to white beer. Oh. And according to this website I found... So like I said, the wheat beer has like the barleys and the wheats in it. The wit beer is a white beer. It's also kind of also kind of cloudy, but it's typically brewed with coriander and citrus and other spices. Oh, okay. Complimentary flavors to the bready, bright wheat notes. Hmm. Well, I don't know why I like it, but I do. So it's a Belgian style and they have the wit beer or the white beer. Okay. So that's why it was called Wit. Belly, Belly slide wit. wit. Yeah. And I had no idea until you said, I want to drink this. And I said, let's learn about it. And it only comes around once in a blue moon. Cheers, mom. Cheers. Goodness, that's refreshing. It is. I have to say that I know I did not garnish but I love this beer with, with a slice orange. of orange on the side. Yeah. Oh. oh, it's so good. But now that I've learned a little bit about like a white beer and a Belgian style, now I get it. This does have more of a citrusy note to it. Yeah. And that's why the, that's why the orange goes orange. well with it. But it's not, there's not that bready taste or a malty taste. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. It's a light bulb on top of her head right now. Got it. That's interesting. Maybe I could become a, a PhD in brew mastering. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it tastes really close to a Hefeweizen, which I... Well, I could keep reading this article no, to you, I found, because <laughs> no, it also okay. goes into Hefeweizen is a type of Weiss beer. German for white beer. Weiss. Oh, Weiss. I forgot. W is V as I forgot. So they're similar. See? See? Hefeweizen itself translate to yeast wheat in German. Yeah. Jawohl. It's made up of 50% wheat. Weiss beers are characterized by a strong presence of banana and clove. Even vanilla or bubble gum. Ooh. Ooh. Never gotten the bubblegum part. <laughs> Ew, bubblegum beer? Can you imagine? No. <laughs> I don't like flavored beer, though. Oh, some of them I do. Raspberry or... There's like apple beer and raspberry beer. Ooh, that's so gross. Really? I'm Grapefruit beer. That's oh, yeah. where I draw the line with my beers. I like just a it's probably good old beer. I don't really like beer, and that's why I like yeah. those. <laughs> Although, Hefeweizen is my favorite, so... Anyway. All right. Well, I'm going to sit back and enjoy this wit beer. (laughs) All right, Mom, you got to bring it down for me here. Yeah. What a sad, sad story we have to tell this week. It's a story that may be familiar to many of you. At least the name of the victim will be. And for people above a certain age, you will remember the covers of magazines and tabloids as you stood in checkout lines because they were everywhere. Do you remember those? Oh, gosh, yes. 
Those covers showed pictures of a beautiful little girl made up and posing in her pageant shows. I am, of course, talking about six-year-old Jean Benet Patricia Ramsey. Jean Benet was born August 6, 1990 in Atlanta, Georgia, to John and Patricia, otherwise known as Patsy Ramsey. I've often wondered how her parents came up with her name, because Jean Benet is such a different name. Sounds French. No, they put her father's first and middle name together. Oh, what's his middle name? Benet? (laughs) Beignet? Isn't that a food? It is, isn't it? Mom, please answer me. Stop laughing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Beignet. Is that French food? It's really... I love beignets. That's that's from New Orleans. Yeah. Okay, stop it. Okay, Okay, sorry. Is his middle name Beignet? No, I think his middle name is Bennett. Bennett? Okay, so her father's name is John Bennett Ramsey. So Jean Benet. They put it together. It's really unique. I think it's absolutely beautiful. Her middle name is Patricia from her mother. Yes. So there you go. No beignets. No beignets. I'm going to start with a little bit of information about John Benet's parents. John, her father, was married in 1966 to Lucinda Pesh. They had three children, one of which... 22-year-old Elizabeth was killed in a car crash in 1992. The couple divorced in 1978, and Patricia Ann Pa was an American beauty pageant winner who, in 1977, at age 20, won the Miss West Virginia pageant. John and Patsy married in 1980. They had a son, Burke, in 1987, and a daughter, John Bonet, in 1990. The family moved to Boulder, Colorado for John's business in 1991. Not only was it the headquarters of the company that John worked for, Access Graphics, in Boulder, but the family was happy to be moving into a very quaint, safe town, which is the definition of Boulder. And in fact, in 1996, the year John Bonet was murdered, hers was the only murder that year. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. But let me go back to Jean Bonnet. Her mother entered her in beauty pageants at an early age, and watching videos, Jean Bonnet was a natural and definitely showed talent and presence on the stage. I mean, to watch this child, it was it was really actually amazing to watch her. And me as a drama teacher and, and seeing this just this talent just oozing from this child. She won her first competition when she was four years old at the Colorado State All-Star Kids Pageant. A few months later, she won again at the Little Miss Charlevoix Pageant in Michigan. Charlevoix. Um, Her family vacationed in Charlevoix in the summers, so that's what got her up there. Okay. But get this. The child took first place at Little Miss Colorado, America's Royal Miss, and National tiny Miss Beauty. So by the time she was six years old, she had won at five very prestigious pageants. Wow. Pictures from these pageants are what we saw on the magazines. Mm -hmm. These pictures are what we think of when we think of little Jean Bonnet, a little girl wearing a bunch of makeup with her hair all done up and wearing some costumes. But I want you 
to picture a beautiful little girl. No makeup, her hair in pigtails, and wearing shorts and a t-shirt, skipping down the sidewalk. A little girl who was in kindergarten at the elementary school in Boulder, because that too was John Benet Ramsey. The following is a timeline of that horrible December event. On December 25, 1996, the Ramseys attended a Christmas party at Fleet White's house. And I think he lived across the street, very mm-hmm. close to the family. Or They were neighbors. They were neighbors. They I'm were not definitely sure how neighbors, close. yeah. And he was a very close family friend, as mm-hmm. was his wife. In fact, they had a son and a daughter about the same ages as the Ramseys. Correct. And so the children often played together. And you will hear me refer to Fleet White again. Same. Jean Bonnet went to bed right after the family returned home from the party. Now, there's a little note here that I have to throw in. At first, there's different stories, okay? Jean Bonnet was really tired, and she kind of stumbled up to bed and went to bed. Jean Bonnet's father carried her up the steps and put her in the bed because she fell asleep in the car. From a neighbor's house that was maybe two, three doors down. Now, they did drive. They did drive. So they were oh, in I'm the sure. car. It's Colorado in December. I'm sure but it's cold. Did he carry her up or did she walk? I mean, I know it's a little discrepancy, but there were discrepancies. Oh, okay. All the little, and we're going to voice this over and over and over again, but all the little things do count in this case. We could go into all the little, little things. Unfortunately, we don't have time to do that, <laughs> but we're, it would be two we're going to cover the most important that we felt. <laughs> In our research. Sometime that night, Jean Bonnet ate pineapple. There was a bowl with pineapple and milk on the kitchen table, and she always ate her fruit with milk. Okay. And and so did Burke, and that was one of Burke's favorite desserts, is what I read in a lot of research. Have you ever had pineapple with milk? I would think that the pineapple would curdle the milk because of the acid in the pineapple it would make the milk taste weird and you just said that they ate their fruit with milk i'm sorry i've never heard of that in my life no the fruit with the milk no i haven't either and now i i didn't know burke did this also i just read that jean bonnet did yeah okay at the questioning patsy said that her daughter never ate pineapple the following morning december 26 patsy got up at 5 30 to make coffee. It is then when she finds the ransom note left on the stairs leading down from her bedroom to the home's main level. That's the timeline. We don't know. I'm, I know I kind of, there was a bad transition there, but okay. Patsy said her daughter never ate pineapple, but there was pineapple found in John Bonnet's stomach at the autopsy. A piece. A piece of pineapple. Not a bowl, like we just stated, that was found on the kitchen table. The bowl was full. Mm -hmm. A piece of pineapple. Yep. Okay. The ransom note. So so that's basically the timeline, though, is that they come home from the party. Mm -hmm. Leave all the little details out. They come home from a Christmas party. Mm -hmm. They go to bed and... Patsy gets up at 5.30 to make coffee on the 26th. That's like the logistics of it. Yep. 5.30. Keep that in mind. 5.30 a.m. is when she found the note. Okay. And all kinds of things are wrong with that note. Okay. All things are wrong with just that right there. I'm sorry. But 
why are you getting up at 5.30 in the morning on the day after Christmas to make coffee? I don't know. Maybe she, right after you, because you came to, back from this Christmas party pretty late. It was pretty late when they came yeah. back. But uh, why, are you, why is she getting up at 5.30 in the morning? I don't know. Another question for you. Why was she wearing the same clothes? That's what I was just about to ask you. We are totally jumping ahead here. But <laughs> she was in the same clothes from the night she wore at the Christmas party when she got up at 530 in the morning to make herself coffee. And it looked like she had slept on top of her bed sheets and not underneath her bed sheets. When you look at the bed, mm-hmm. only one side of it has been pulled up like someone was sleeping underneath the covers. The other side had not been slept on. Maybe she was really, really drunk. She came home and just crashed on her bed. But woke up at 5.30 to go make make coffee. coffee. I don't know. All right. Okay. Okay. Should we go straight? Let's go back to, sorry. Should we go straight into this ransom note? theories or should we? (laughs) Should we go into this ransom note? Sorry. Because like I said, there are so many things. Okay. So where was the ransom note found? Screwed up with this. It was found on the stairs leading down from her bedroom to the home's main level. Okay. And it was spread out. And it was two and a half pages. Two and a half pages. Two and a half pages of a handwritten note. First thing. It was addressed to Mr. Ramsey. Dun, dun, dun. Very formal. Not to whom it may concern or to the parents of or whatever. Mr. Ramsey. Now these are things that have been pointed out by forensic psychologist Stephen Pitt. And and then I'm going to confuse you a little bit by switching things around a little bit. And that's just because this whole case is confusing. But you'll see what I mean. I'm very confused. (laughs) Okay, so this is from Dr. Pitt. Then it says that the ransom amount is $118,000, which, oh, by the way, is the exact same amount that John got for his bonus that Christmas. Mm-hmm. Who knew that? The exact amount. Okay. Quote, That's we have... That's a lot. That's a big bonus. No kidding. But he was CEO. He was up there. Okay. Quote, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed. Who says possession? Why? I mean... Just the wording of this note is just so weird. Mom, it's two and a half pages long. They could have summed it all up uh, with, we have your daughter. We want your money. Don't call the police. Don't call the police. We'll call we'll you between be in touch eight with and you ten. at this time. Yep. Period. That's like a quarter of a page. But here we have your daughter in our possession. Not we have your daughter, but in our possession. She is safe and unharmed. Quote, if we monitor you getting the money early, who even says that? If we monitor you? No, I don't. I, what the heck is that? Quote, make sure that you bring an adequate sized attache to the bank. Mom, what's an attache? It's a briefcase. Who uses that word? <laughs> okay, now this is where I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Man, all oh. these baseball terms. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Oh, this is according to Stephen A. Diamond. (laughs) And I'm going to slide belly home with this theory. Here we go, mom. What is it? Stephen A. Diamond is a PhD who is a licensed. Not in beer. 
He brewing. is a licensed clinical and forensic psychologist. So he's the same as Stephen Pitt. Okay. He reads this ransom note totally different. Okay. He su- suggests that there were possibly three intruders in the Ramsey house because of the wording in the note. Mm-hmm. That one or all knew John through working for him or with him. The anger in the note implies resentment and even hatred against John and his wealth. So this act was not so much about money, but about revenge and punishment. Maybe the individual felt slighted or injured by John, or maybe he or she was just plain jealous of John's achievements. Dr. Diamond suggests that it may be wise to look into any individuals who were employed or worked with John prior to the murder. This person or persons would have been middle-aged at the time. They may have had a resentment or even an intense dislike for John, but at the same time respecting his success. Dr. Diamond does not think this was the first attempt at extortion from the individual. Interesting. And they may even have a history of pedophilia, violence, and sociopathic behavior. He also adds, because of the misspellings, and there were quite a few misspellings in the Correct. ransom note, yeah, there were. as well as some of the words used that the individuals may not have been raised in the U.S. So, Which makes sense. Attaché. Attaché and using those big words mm-hmm. because things don't translate the same. So that, okay, I can. So we have two very knowledgeable forensic psychologists who have different views okay dr pitt was more this might have been an inside thing and dr diamond was more it was an outside fraction that did this all right now patsy found the note at 5 30 you read this note one of the first things it says is do not call the police at 5 52 after reading the note Patsy calls the police right away. No, the 911 call is telling for me, in my opinion. How so? I don't know. If you guys want to go listen to it, it is all over YouTube. It is. It's, it's everywhere. We were going to play it for you, but it's kind of hard, hard to understand. understand. And just go listen to it and see what you can pick up right. from it. Patsy is very, very, very upset. Very upset. Oh my gosh, we have a kidnapping. Yeah, you can hardly understand her. I mean, she's she's distraught, yes. screaming. And she's she's six, she's blonde, she's, she's six. six. They ask, do you know who took her? And she says, we have a ransom note. Mm-hmm. And it's signed by SBTC. The C does not have a period at the end of it. All the other initials do. Just pointing out. But what do out. those initials mean? Nobody knows. But it says, victory S B C T. What is it? S B T C victory. Actually, in the note, it was written victory exclamation mark and then S B T C. Exactly. But when Patsy talked on the 911 call, she said it's signed S B T C victory. Now, is that because she wasn't holding the ransom note? But I'm, I mean, we've said those initials how many times already? And, and I can't, at each other like, and I can't the remember initials? the initials. <laughs> how can she remember those initials? And then the victory, I, I, anyway. S-B-T-C. 
I wonder what that's for. I don't know that anybody's ever solved that. That's interesting. All right. The other interesting thing that I found was the note said, do not call anyone. Do not call the police. Do not call your friends. Do not call anyone. And then it stated, we will contact you between 8 and 10 and 10 a.m. First thing Patsy does is call the police. Mm-hmm. The police. Within 20 minutes of reading the letter. Yeah. 15 to 20 minutes because it's a two and a half page letter. It probably took her a good five minutes to read it. Call John down. Have him read it. I mean, I, I and then they call. Yeah, I would assume. And then call and then call the police. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would have been right away. And if you listen to the call, uh, there's a part where at the end they believe Patsy thinks she hangs up the phone and she's saying something like, help me, God, help me, Jesus or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the operator is like, Patsy, Patsy. And Patsy thinks she had hung up the phone. Mm-hmm. Now, this has been analyzed and overanalyzed, and we're not going to go too far FBI, into it. by FBI, by everybody. Yeah. But Patsy says something along the lines of, and I think most people agree, it sounds like she's saying, we're not talking to you right now. Now, that was pretty clear. Yep. That was pretty clear. We don't now, know who she's talking. Who she's telling that to, we have, have no, no idea. idea. But she's assumed she's already hung up the phone. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not even going to get into the fact of why would you hang up the phone with a 911 operator. That's how the call was ended. Was we have a ransom note. She's six. She's blonde. She's six. And are you on, you know, hurry, hurry, hurry. Mm -hmm. And that's basically how the call is ended. Frantically. But then her voice changes to. To, but but then she hangs up the phone. She thinks she hangs up the phone. She thinks she has. Which, I'm again, I'm not going to get into the fact of you didn't get any answers from that. You didn't get any answers of what do I do or oh, when is somebody going to be here? Somebody is on the way, right? Like, who are you sending? Nothing. She just hangs up the phone. And then her voice goes to this, like, stern, we aren't talking to you right now. Like a mom voice. Like a mom voice. Yeah. And then there's a male voice. Some have said it sounds like a child male, where we'll jump down all the theories later on for it being possibly Burke she's speaking to. It could be John. But it could be John she's talking to. And now this response has not really been broken down. No. This response has not been clearly. You can't understand it. No, you really can't understand it. It kind of sounds, people say it kind of sounds like somebody saying, you know, what did they say or are they on their way or I don't know. That's just kind of what people have assumed. Assumed. Yeah. Okay. Police do respond right away. Yes. The officer does a search of the home. A rope is found in the bedroom next to John Bonet's room. What but bedroom is that though? Just a guest room? I think so. Okay. But nobody knows where it came from. So bizarre. Now, I will add here that the Boulder police were simply not equipped to handle this case. Remember, it's Christmas. So they're, they are understaffed. A lot of police have, and detectives sure. and people, you sure. know, staff have taken off for Christmas. Only one detective is at the scene, Linda Arndt, and one police officer to guard the front door. Also, John Bonet's murder was the only one and only murder, as I said, that year. So they just are not... And and even previously, there weren't that many murders. So it, they just are not equipped to handle this. And may I add here that they did not want outside help. Even as this case progressed, they did not want outside help. But, That's interesting to me. All right. So Patsy 
didn't only call the police. She called friends and family, many of whom came to the house to comfort her and John. Now, I would understand calling friends and family. Mm, have you seen John Bonet? Have you heard from John Bonet? Do you like maybe? I don't know. You get a ransom note, though. I don't. It doesn't point in any direction that she's going to be over at a friend's house. So I don't know why you're calling your friends and family. But she wasn't calling like you know, John Bonet's best friend. I mean, she called them too, but she was calling her minister. She was calling a bunch of people. Yeah. Who all came over, of all course. All came over. Yeah. Yes. Then Ransom Notes stated that there would be a phone call from the kidnappers between 8 and 10 a.m. The call never came. Okay, so now we're going to review a little bit. This poor detective. Mm-hmm. She gets left at this scene, we still think it's a kidnapping, but she gets left at this scene by herself. There's all these people traipsing all through the house mm-hmm. at this point. They're going to the bathroom. They're going here. They're going there. She cannot keep them in this. She keeps saying, stay in these two rooms. Don't mm-hmm. leave these two rooms. And she just cannot control the scene. Oh, we have to really feel, I, I really feel for the detective aren't. I think she did everything she possibly could. Okay, going back to the phone calls. So I'm just going to say that the kidnappers were supposed to call between 8 and 10 a.m. 10 a.m. passed. Call never came. Ramsey didn't seem to be concerned about that. Anyway, I'm going to move on. No, you're not going to move on because this is one of my biggest points for this is as a mom of an almost six-year-old or as a mom in general, If a ransom note was left in my house that said, we're going to call you between 8 and 10, I would be living by that phone. And as 9.59 ticked by, I would be grabbing onto that detective. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What is the plan? What it when they call, what is the plan going to be? What are we going to say? Where should we be? Yeah. How long do we need to keep them on the phone? What do we need to say? Should we what? go get the money for these people? Right. Like, wh- I'm ready to go the get the money plan. None of those conversations were had. No. In fact, in fact, something too that I one source stated is that John was in the kitchen by himself. Patsy was surrounded by friends and the pastor in like the living room. They were not together. And I just can picture, I don't know, you and Alex, if, if you're, one of your children were to be missing, you guys would be inseparable, trying inseparable. to console each other. And we would be asking all the questions to that detective. Oh, they're going to call between 8 and 10. At 7.30, I'd be like, okay, this is going to be the plan. Like, we have to make a plan. That conversation was never had. And Detective Arndt made the comment of that time came and went came and went and they, and they never bat even an eye and notice the clock. didn't even notice and so weird yeah <sighs> so now it's in the afternoon detective aren't asked john and his friend fleet white to search the house every room it was during that search that john opened the door to a small room in the basement and found john benet's body covered by a blanket in his grief He pulls the duct tape from her mouth and tries to untie the rope from her wrists. He picks her up. I hate to be insensitive here, but it does establish somewhat of a timeline. He picks up her stiff body. Rigor mortis has set in. 
Okay, so rigor mortis sets in two to four hours after death and can last hours or even days sometimes. He carries the body upstairs and places the body in the foyer. Um, This is an unreasonable place to put the body. So many people have walked back and forth. Detective Arndt is at this point like, oh my gosh, what have you just freaking done basically leave the crime scene where was the crime scene yeah. what why did you even touch the body she was very specific before she even sent them to go look in the house if, if you, you find, find anything, anything suspicious leave it leave it there and i will come look at it yes but so, in his defense i mean we're, we're gonna i'm gonna play devil's advocate in this you find your baby's body on the floor And he said he took the tape off because he thought she might still be alive. Right. But but there's actually like and I I wish I would have looked into this more. Um, But like if you were to find a person hanging, there's actually a human response to take that person down. Down. Mm -hmm. And like that's just your a a natural response. But like, I guess you're not supposed to do that. They want to find it in the. But this is his baby. Yes. Six year old child found on the floor with tape on her mouth yeah i'd want to rip that tape off too like right yeah. right and untie her little of hands of course right and hold her yes absolutely. you know hold her and carry her upstairs and not leave her alone in this dark room anymore i mean i can understand all that but we have to also understand the police side of it of course. he has just contaminated the entire scene then he puts her body in the foyer where all these people have just walked of course She actually then places the body in the living room where there aren't very many people right by the Christmas tree, which is at that point the only place she could put the body. Mm -hmm. Like I said, contamination. Oh, huge in this case. You have friends and family traipsing all through the house after Patsy calls them. John removes the tape and messes with the ropes on... JonBenet's arms carries her upstairs like we just said and everybody has walked okay so there's absolutely no preservation of a crime scene none this is probably an important reason the crime has never been solved according to one timeline source it wasn't until 10:45 p.m. that the coroner picked up the body oh wow i'm not sure about that but according to one timeline source that's what it said wow so remember people are on vacation People Mm -hmm. have to be called in to do this. That would have been horrific. December 28th, the family gives the police samples of their hair, blood, and handwriting. The next day, they fly to Atlanta. Jean Bonnet's funeral is on December 31st. One of the saddest scenes, and there are many, but one of them is the little casket being carried into the church. Uh, They did have a memorial service for her, and I believe that was actually in Boulder. Mm -hmm. And it was on Patsy's birthday. And then the funeral was in Atlanta. Okay. And that's where they had family. Actually, uh uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's where they all came from. Right. She's actually buried in Marietta, Georgia, next to where Elizabeth, John's older daughter, is buried. Oh, it's so sad. The family claimed to be too distraught to talk to the police. But on January 1st, they were interviewed by CNN while still in Atlanta. Mm. (laughs) December 3rd, it was released to the public that the ransom note was written on a pad of paper from inside 
the house. One source said that the pad was from Patsy's nightstand and the felt pin that was used had been placed right back from where it usually sat. Now, I also had another source that said it was from the kitchen. I was just going to say, yes. So, I mean, and that's that's kind that's of... That's the thing with these big cases. I mean, before you even mentioned that she found the ransom note on the bottom of the staircase leading from the bedrooms to the main level. And I didn't stop you there because I don't want to be rude. My sources stated that the note was actually left on the staircase leading to the basement where the body was found. And I think there were other sources that even said the it was found on the, the kitchen, kitchen table or, or on something. the kitchen counter. So, so that's these big cases. It's small cases. It's hard. The big cases. It's hard. Yeah, because there's so much little discrepancy like that. But I think and we can. It was on a staircase. <laughs> it's definitely on a staircase. No, which one? We on don't know. On the top know. of the staircase. On the bottom, on the of, bottom the staircase. of the staircase. I don't know according to what source, but. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. Go on. Not surprisingly, John and Patsy become prime suspects. In May, they speak to the local press, including Nine News. Patsy states, quote, I'm appalled that anyone would think that John or I would be involved in such a hideous and heinous crime. But let me assure you, I did not kill John Bonet. End of quote. So is she saying John did? Isn't that a weird quote? <laughs> it's weird. She's not saying... We did not kill her. She's <laughs> sorry, saying, I not heard that quote. I that did was, not kill her. Sorry, that was my initial response. I'm sorry. Mine too. July 14th, autopsy reports are released. Jean Monet suffered a large fracture of her skull. This did not break the skin, so there was no blood, which I found very interesting. Mm -hmm. The fracture could have been inflicted by a large flashlight, like the one found on the Ramsey kitchen counter. That... Nobody claimed they'd ever seen. Oh, before. by the way, the Ramsey said they did not own a flashlight. Nobody claimed to have ever seen this flashlight. That flashlight. Yep. Yeah. But it matched perfectly with the rectangular wound in with, her skull. With the large wound. Right. I thought it was just interesting that it did not cause any bleeding, outside bleeding. Right. I, I just thought that was interesting. That is very interesting. This injury did not kill the child. She actually died by strangulation caused by a sophisticatedly constructed garrot. Garrot. Yeah. So with only one handle, which I thought garrots always had two handles, but this yeah. one only had one handle, which happened to be made from one of Patsy's paintbrushes. I mean, again, devil's advocate. The paintbrush was down in handy. the basement. It was handy with what was in the basement. Mom, if it wasn't for this case, I don't think I would even know what a garrot was. Well, I knew what it was, but, I, but I've only seen two-handled garrots. I've never seen a one-handled garrot. I just I just find that such an interesting choice. Uh, sorry, go on. The garrot had been pulled so tight that there was a deep indentation in the child's neck. Mm -hmm. Now, my question is, why was a grot even used? Th that's what I'm, that why was what I was not, trying to verbalize. Why you. not hands? I mean, this is a yeah. little six-year-old girl. I hate to be crass, but one hand could have strangled this child. A hand, we'll get into theories. We'll get there, mom, we'll get there. Okay. There was also bruising on her right cheek her lower back, and her left leg. These were later identified as being caused by a stun gun. 
Ah. Uh, assumed. Assumed. Well. So, hold on. I'm a little confused. So, can you elaborate? Because when you say bruising on her neck and her leg, I'm thinking just like a bruise. That's what I, that's what I thought too. And then I looked at autopsy sketch put pictures and whatever. And there were like two two marks that were separated a certain a certain length that could very well have been a stun gun. Okay. And that was found on her neck. Okay. On her lower back and on her leg. Okay. Supposedly these were identical. Okay. There were abrasions on her genital area, but it was inconclusive as to whether she was sexually assaulted. Okay. There were two spots, blood, on her underwear that DNA showed was not from anyone in the family. Right. An unknown male contributor. In August 1998, lead detective Steve Thomas resigned. He was convinced that John and Patsy had something to do with John Bonet's death, but that the whole scene had been thoroughly compromised and the whole case was crippled. Hmm. Can I add something here? I'm not saying one way or the other. The family was very affluent. and What do you mean by that? They were very well-to-do. Right. They knew everybody that they needed to know in the community. Mm-hmm. Everybody respected them. Mm-hmm. They had a lot of money and they had a lot of clout. Right. So, I don't know. I'm not saying there was a cover-up. I'm not saying anything. But were some things not put out to the public to protect the family? I don't know. Steve Thomas was convinced that things were hidden. And that's why he resigned. He just couldn't do it anymore. Wow. I mean, he quit his job. He quit his job. He became a a carpenter. (laughs) Okay, he he started his own business, became a carpenter. He had promised this little girl that he was going to solve this case, but he was up against a brick wall. Yeah. September 15th, 1998, the grand jury began an investigation. September 24th, another detective quits. Lou Smith was and still is convinced that the family had nothing to do. Actually, he's dead now, but to his death. He was convinced the family had nothing to do with the murder and that a very dangerous killer is out there. Interesting. But he quit too because (sighs) he was actually called in. He was not on the force. He was called in. Lou Smith was, he had solved many, many kidnappings and and killings of children, I think, in particular. All over the nation. So he was very well known. So Mm -hmm. he was called in to this case. And he convinced it was not the family. Wow. And finally, he was just like, I'm, I'm out of so here. It's so interesting to me how you have one one side, one the other. And they're even like in the case. They're not like us up against tons and tons of different resources. Right. Every resource is swayed one way or the other. And these people are like in the case, have the case files in front of them, and one's going one way, one's going the other. That's just so crazy to me. In March 1999, the first detective that was on the scene, remember Linda? Arndt. Arndt. Mm -hmm. She resigned because of all the criticism that had come her way. And that just is horrible because what was she supposed to do? She went in with the idea that this was 
a kidnapping. Kidnapping, first of all. How did she know that there was a body down in the basement? She was already trying to keep people in line. Then when there was the murder, she was still trying to keep people in place. And people were still walking all over the place. She got no backup, no support Mm -hmm. whatsoever. Actually, I think she actually got pulled off the case because of the criticism. And that's when she said, I'm out of here. Okay, so May 19th, 1992, 12-year-old Burke, who was questioned by the grand jury, is declared a witness, no longer a suspect by the grand jury. In October, the district attorney states that there is not sufficient evidence to charge anyone in the murder. Mm. In other words, John and Patsy are cleared. And they were cleared on DNA as well, correct? Yeah, because the spot of blood. Right. Yeah. Was everything really released? Anyway, March 2000, the Ramseys published The Death of Innocence, a book about their daughter's murder. On June 24, 2006, Patsy died of ovarian cancer at the age of 49. She's buried right next to John Bonet. John Ramsey met Jan Russo in Moab, Utah in 2011, and and later the two married and live in Michigan. Burke Ramsey attended Purdue University, where he graduated in 2009 with a degree in computer technology. He's employed as a software engineer, but really kind of keeps to himself. In 2016... Do you blame him? No. In 2016, he did appear on Dr. Phil, Mm -hmm. but since that, he has done... No other media appearance whatsoever. Yeah. So that's again, do you blame him? The Dr. Phil thing that he was on was uh, the poor guy. I mean, he just like smiled through the whole thing. He smiled through the whole thing, which I could pick up immediately as a nervous habit. Yeah. A, A terrible nervous. I mean, I working again with drama kids, junior high drama kids, everybody has their nervous little things Mm -hmm. some kids put their hands in their pockets some kids pace back and forth from one foot to the other you know other kids smile all the time oh my nolan if you're yelling at him because he's in trouble he smiles smiles his nervous thing is smiling he smiles so if he's getting in trouble the kid smiles at you and then he's got the most beautiful smile so he gets away (laughs) with it but yeah that that oh yeah you could tell he was so Nervous. Well, like you just said, it's his first and only public appearance. Yeah. Yeah. And Dr. Phil is laying it on the line, man. He is asking him straightforward Mom, questions. Mom, it's Dr. Phil. I mean, come on. <laughs> He's not beating around the bush. It is no. straight at it. I mean, just shooting these, you know. <laughs> and this poor kid is just sitting there and, and uh Anyway, he's not a kid, I know, but he's, to me, he's a kid. So that's, that's the timeline. What do you have? Theories. Well, like we said, we could talk, I mean, gosh, like mom said, we could talk about this case for months. (laughs) I told myself going into this that I was only going to research theories for a set amount of time and then I was going to close my laptop and walk away. She was smart. I spent a whole week on this. I I was not going to go down all these black holes. And when I read a theory that... Katy Perry is John Benet. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, Katy Perry is John Benet. Okay. I closed my laptop <laughs> and I walked away. Oh I am done. Oh my 
gosh. So I took notes and notes and notes, but I found like the top, I don't know, five theories and we're going to kind of talk about the top five. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'm probably going to be more than five that we end up talking about, but, and before I go on, these are theories. We in no way, shape or form are claiming that this is it or that one has no no to tell you the truth i have no idea this is like scott peterson thing i i really have no idea we can tell you it maybe makes sense to me but you might be listening to it and say no beth that makes absolutely no sense and the other thing is we don't another beer we don't have all the facts clearly we don't because we don't even know where the ransom note was found Or where the paper pad was found. Golly. (laughs) Let's talk about Patsy. Okay. This is tricky because as you claim, JonBenet is her little star. Mm -hmm. Patsy was in pageants. Now, JonBenet. Is it JonBenet or JonBenet? JonBenet because her dad was John. Okay. I think so. I just want to see what page you were on and we'll just stick to that page. (laughs) I don't know. So this is her little star. It's really hard for anyone to imagine a mother having anything to do with hurting or killing her own child no but we know what happens. but we've covered exactly unfortunately we have covered that some say that she adored this little girl mm-hmm. and would never do anything to harm her child others criticize her for sexualizing her daughter in these pageants Mm -hmm. and i know some people look at these pageants and don't think that they're sexualizing that and everybody has their views of these pageants the pageants have changed though from what i've what i've kind of looked into a lot more popular now is still they have children's pageants but makeup isn't really is not really used the big hair is not really used and i'm Um, sorry i know i we just said this is all theories we're not going to put our opinion out there but where i am going to put my opinion out there is a six-year-old shouldn't be judged i'm sorry but we should love every little six-year-old for their own little unique qualities and not judge them and that you're not going to get a trophy but you are because your personality is better than that personality i'm sorry that's wrong turn me off if you don't agree I think that's wrong. They're children. They all have their own unique, beautiful qualities. Period. That's Beth's opinion. Done. Moving on. Okay. (laughs) But I have to say, when you see this six-year-old child on stage, my mind was blown. I No, and I bet she was incredibly gifted and and could have moved on to be a great actress, but to be judged for that. No, 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 no. And oh, by the way, she was six. And I feel like she was definitely treated much older than six. Well, that's why I wanted you to picture the little girl in the pigtails. Right. That's no, what I wanted. And, I, and and to say, you know, I mean, she was in kindergarten. Mom, I know. That's, that's what just, makes it so hard. That's just, and when we see these pictures, they're not about that. They're about these pageants and this made up little girl that looks like she's a teenager. And it's just like, we have to remember Again, the victim and this little, this little girl. So back to Patsy. Mm-hmm. You know, some have claimed that John Bonet was kind of her own little trophy to show off to people. Mm. And so this bedwetting theory, yeah, uh, doesn't quite fit into you know 
John Bonet apparently had some bedwetting issues, mm-hmm. and these issues don't fit into that perfect child that she was trying to portray to everybody. So the biggest theory with Patsy is that she had gotten sick and tired of John Bonet wetting the bed, and she did wet the bed that night. There was photo crime photos of it and something happened mm-hmm. um one of the theories said that she hit her head on the bath like she was cleaning her off in the bathtub and she got really angry and aggressively she fell and hit her head on the bathtub or something right. mm-hmm. um but like we stated the injury in her head i guess is one of jean benet being hit with something not jean benet hitting her head on, on something. something does mm-hmm. that make sense mm-hmm. And I guess a bathtub wound maybe doesn't fit into the wound that was found in her head. I didn't look at the autopsy or anything. The wound on her head is right on top of her head. So that's why the bathtub thing doesn't, doesn't make sense. Doesn't make no. sense. Um, that was one of the biggest theories I found online. Uh, and then that in her rage, she strangled her. But again, it was a garrot. With a garrot? Yeah, the garrot. Let me take you all the way down to the basement I mean, now think about that. What if she got so angry, took her all the way downstairs to the basement to strangle her or, or strangled her with a garrot? The garrot was made with the paintbrush, which was in the basement. So either she went down to the basement, made a garrot and came back upstairs, strangled her daughter. It, it just... May I insert here? It was a very sophisticatedly made garrot. With the knots, yeah. So we're talking about somebody who knows what they're doing, too. Right. But... If that's the case of let me go make a garrot and bring it up or bring you down to make a garrot, that's child abuse. And there's no sign of any kind of child abuse up until that point of a snap. Wouldn't you think that there'd be some kind of other signs? On her or Burke. Right. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. Now, the housekeeper, mm-hmm. Linda Hoffman Pugh. I'm going to cover another theory on her later, but she told the grand jury that Patsy had multiple personalities. Now, this was not released, by the way, until later. Correct. So like mom and I have always stated, you don't know what happens behind closed doors. But this housekeeper says that Patsy would yell at JonBenet a lot. She would flip out over like one minute she'd be really happy and then the next she'd flip out over the most little things of like what dress John Bonet chose to wear or maybe a little friend that she wanted to come over. Mm. She would yell at her all the I time. So no. I don't know. That's just what she told the grand jury though. Mm-hmm. So maybe there was a moment where she just snapped. I, I, I don't know. Don't know. Another thing is that we mentioned the pineapple bowl, mm-hmm. the pineapple with milk. Again, I don't get it. But so there was a bowl found on the kitchen table. And initially, the police thought that it was cereal. Well, because that makes sense. It's in milk. <laughs> yeah. So they kind of kind of really kind of overlooked it because they thought it was cereal. Uh, now, DNA was taken from this bowl. And my resources said that the DNA on the bowl was of Burke's. And Patsy's. Yes. And John Bonet had a piece of pineapple mm-hmm. in her stomach in the autopsy. Mm-hmm. Just a piece. So this leads kind of to the next theory was that they get back from the party and Burke made himself this bowl or Patsy made this bowl of pineapple for Burke or mm-hmm. 
maybe this bowl was made before the party and was just sitting out. Ooh. I, I don't. Yeah, I can't imagine that tasting very good. But one of the theories is Burke having something to do with this. And maybe John Bonet played little sister and uh-huh, I'm going to steal one of your pineapples and takes a little piece of his pineapple, eats it, one piece, and Burke gets mad and something happens. Although maybe supposedly he- this child was really tired after this party it was late at night and she went straight to bed i'm just saying what i read for the theories i know just playing devil's advocate here but maybe that's a story they made up so this is true this is my this is i'm just (laughs) this is just one of the theories i read that maybe burke snapped Mm -hmm. i'm sick of my sister picking on you know a normal sibling fight grabs this flashlight and hits her on the head with it I have had I have heard also that he did have a short fuse. Okay, so maybe he pushed his sister, hit her on the head, she falls unconscious, and now oh my god, Pat she's she's laying on the floor, she's not moving, and they want to cover this up. Where where the garrote fits into this story I don't or know. why a parent would go, Oh my gosh, my child's unconscious. Now I gotta tie a garrote around her neck and make this story make sense. I don't know. Why you would not want to rush your child to the hospital? Call paramedics? I mean, okay, the skin's not broken. There is no bleeding, but your child is unconscious. Right. But maybe they didn't want Burke to get in trouble for an accident. Or they're an affluent family. Maybe they didn't want right. people to look we at take them. Her to, we take her to the hospital people for look at them something badly at wrong. Us. This is going to get out. That Uh my son did this or I did this or there's abuse in our house or exactly again this is just a theory we're all throwing you're just throwing theories out there one thing I I did notice though is okay she's in the clothes from the night before Patsy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this note okay it's almost like the whole crime was rushed so say this scenario did happen Either Burke hits her on the head with the flashlight or Patsy's so mad at her, she hits her on the head with the flashlight. Number one, they're not going to claim that they've ever seen that flashlight. If they know that flashlight hit John Bidet on the head and that knocked her unconscious, I've never seen that flashlight in my life. <laughs> well, true. Right? Right. Why would they say, oh, no, I love that flashlight? Yep. We use it all the time. Yeah. So an accident occurs and... It's almost like then it's all rushed because think about it. You said this ransom note was two and a half pages long. If this were a real kidnapping situation from somebody on the outside, number one, would you have this ransom note already written up where you come in, you want to get in and get out. You want to come in, grab the kid and get out. No, this ransom note was written from a notepad found in the house. In the house. Had to have been. And it left indentions on the personalized stationery in the house with a pen in the house. So these people break into the house, sit down to write a two and a half page letter. Do you know how long it would take them to write that letter? I lost my page in my notes, so I don't remember how long it would write that letter, take to write that letter. I think it was like 19 minutes. Yeah, something like that. I think it's... No, it's here. A two and a half page letter... They calculated that that would take 29 minutes of continuous writing 
to write. So that's not stopping to think, what am I going to write next? Mom. That's like knowing exactly what you're writing. Yeah. Did, did you read someplace like I did that there was also a practice letter found? Yes. And that was, that was to Mr. and Mrs. Ramsey. Yes, I read that. So let's add in an extra five minutes for the mistake. <laughs> oh, that wait. doesn't make any sense. We don't want this to be Mr. and Mrs. Ramsey. We just want this to be Mr. Ramsey. That what? doesn't make any sense. So the fact that she's she finds this letter at 530. Mm-hmm. She calls at 552. Mm-hmm. Why are you getting up that early? It's almost like you did stage this thing. An accident happens. You stage it. You write this ransom note. You're not thinking of like the little details of, oh, I'm still in the clothes from the night before. And I'm not looking at the time of when I'm calling. You know what I mean? Like maybe she always got up at 530 to make coffee. Maybe she did. And it was God bless her soul if she did. It was just habit that she always got up that time. Sure. And maybe she just threw on the same clothes instead of her morning coat or her robe. Maybe she just threw on the same clothes that she was wearing. Yeah, because didn't she say that she like put them on the chair next to her bed and she got up and they were just sitting there so she put them back on or something? I don't. I don't know. I didn't read that, but but it was a a Christmas party outfit. Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, okay. And she's like a pageant mom, so this isn't just some like like jeans and a sweater. Like, like this you and is me, like like a sweatshirt and sweatpants and go out with the dog. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't go to a Christmas party in sweatpants, but no, no, I mean like in the morning, like. If I wear that the day before and in the morning, right, I'm going to run the dog out. I I do that. You know, I'd throw yeah. that, that on. If I'm getting up at 530 in the morning to make coffee, I'm putting on just my sweatpants or a robe. A robe. <laughs> I'm with the robe and the slippers. So I, I don't know. It's like those little details just were kind of overlooked. If if that's the theory you kind of go with that. I don't know. That don't make little, sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. And like we mentioned, the ransom note says, do not call the police and. She calls the police. Now, the handwriting was looked at on the mm-hmm. ransom letter. Investigators found the match inconclusive. They definitely ruled out John mm-hmm. and they ruled out Burke. They did not. Inconclusive on Patsy. Inconclusive for her. Yes. And I don't know. If you're writing something in a rush, again, a I, rushed timeline. Nervous. Here, nervous. You're trying to change it. To, yeah, I don't know. Your hand's shaking. I mean, I, I, you know, people have talked about, too, that the verbiage in the letter is like similar to classic crime films. And and I'm not going to go down all that theories, you know, all those black holes with that, because at the end of the day, mom, if you were to sit down and write a ransom note, yeah, it probably would be straight to the point more accurately. But I wouldn't take I wouldn't use attache case. I can tell but you I that. mean like how does anybody write a ransom note? They learn from the movies, right? Like I I can't go down those theories because right. that's just, just right. silly to me. Okay. So the next thing on my list bounce with me listeners. We are we are <laughs> we are bouncing We're around bouncing. in this case. Um back to another Burke theory. So something happened, an accident or not, you decide. But another theory founded by evidence in the autopsy. So famed forensic investigator 
Werner Spitz's review of John Bonet's autopsy included a quote perfectly rectangular defect unquote that he suspected came from a blow to the little girl's head with a blunt heavy flashlight seen in the photo on the kitchen counter in the crime scene photos he claimed the flashlight fit the eight and a half inch gash in her skull to perfection mm-hmm. that's a quote to mm-hmm. perfection however no trace evidence of either john benet nor burke was found on the flashlight oh so it was wiped down it had to have if that were, if that was if that was hit her. right no one claimed the flashlight so we already discussed that so they've never Best seen skip it skip that note yep okay so again in theory hypothetically burke gets mad that john benet maybe took a pineapple from him what have you so this angry brother he hits her over the head of the flashlight she lays there on the ground unconscious he, he wants to like poke her you know, to see if she moves, mm-hmm. if she's alive. He, she's laying there. She's not moving. Right. So some have claimed, like you did, that the two little mark was a stun gun mark. Mm-hmm. But according to one of these forensic investigators, those marks actually also line up perfectly with the edges of Burke's train track. Oh, my gosh. I didn't read that at all. So that was a theory like, you know, if you're. You see a dead bunny and you, or you see a laying a bunny laying there. And you want to poke it to see if it's alive. Or yeah. like, that was kind of one of the theories was that she was poked with this train track to see like, are you alive? Are you going to move after being hit on the head? Mm, she would have really had to have been poked hard. Yeah, because these were like left bruises. Yeah, they were pretty, pretty solid. That is a theory. So Linda Arndt, we talked a little bit about her. She was mm-hmm. the first police officer on the scene. She was, well, she was the detective there. Yes. Uh, on the scene. Okay. Let's go to the investigation with Linda Arndt. There were no footprints found in the snow leading up to the house. Right. That's what I read in all my stuff. But with all these people coming and going, how are there not footprints? Oh. Well, when the sidewalk shoveled, though? Yeah. So couldn't this person that this kidnapper why why she gave me the i don't know hands i don't know mom (laughs) i mean could the person have come into the house nothing showed as a break-in and and that's why the housekeeper was suspected as a theory uh because you know she was a housekeeper she had a house key and her husband was the handyman so they had a house key and patsy really kind of pointed fingers at like everybody yeah Everybody. She pointed fingers at Fleet White. She pointed fingers at the housekeeper. She even said that the housekeeper's handwriting looked a little bit like the ransom note. But then she retracted that. Yeah. And she said that the housekeeper had asked for a loan oh, Yeah, that's right. And they refused and like, her and she was right. mad. Yeah. Here's something interesting that I came upon. I don't know whether you did or not. <laughs> but to light up the outside of the... They had candy canes and stuff uh-huh. on the, to light up the outside stuff they had to plug into electricity and so they had electric cords going under windows so the windows were not closed oh my gosh so there wouldn't be any sign of a break-in i just saw that at a source and i thought that was super interesting if that's true that's super interesting 
So somebody could have easily gotten in there while they were at a party. At the party, he could have written he, she, whatever. They had plenty of time to write a note then. Written the note then. Oh my gosh! Waited for them, done all this stuff. Yeah, and easily gotten out of the house. Wow. Huh. Now, what about that broken window? There was a broken window? Yeah, there was a broken window. And actually, Fleet was the one who found it. And he pointed it out to John. And John said, oh, I did that last summer. I lost my key and I had to break in there to get into the house. Okay, these people are super wealthy. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say that doesn't make any sense. And they left a broken window from... And it's winter. At least six months. Yeah. And it's winter. And there was, okay, so we're getting into the theories, right? Yes. We're getting into the, so the basement windows all had leaves and stuff Mm -hmm. on the sills. Mm -hmm. This one did not with the broken window. Right. Did not have leaves that had been scraped off. There was a suitcase underneath the window on the inside. Right. So if you were to As if somebody steps on it. Correct. And there were dried leaves in the inside, inside by the suitcase. Mm-hmm. So. Supposedly. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's true. There was indeed a broken window. Again, why didn't they fix it? Don't know. But there was in fact a broken window. How they got through that though. I saw the size of the window. It was very small. And it's just like, how did he even get through it? How, what did he do? Did he, was there a latch that he reached through to unlock the window? I don't you know. know. It didn't make any sense to me. He would have really cut his arm because that was a jagged. <laughs> but it was definitely broken from the outside in because there was uh, still a little bit of glass inside on the inside. Of the yeah, house. I don't know. <sighs> See? See? This is why we're so confused. <sighs> okay. So back to Linda Arndt. She sent John and the neighbor Fleet White to look around the house and because a police officer had already looked around the house yes. and found nothing. Yeah. So she sent John and Fleet White. John Ramsey heads straight to the basement. Straight. And again, you can write that off. We can write off some of these things. I can write that off if you want to work from the bottom of the house to the top of the house. You want to work the bottom up. And oh, by the way, Fleet White said that when they went to the basement, Ramsey reached to turn on the light. But before the light went on, he said, quote, oh, my God unquote oh so it's like he saw something before the light was even turned on and yet her body was towards like if you opened the door Mm -hmm. in fact i even read a source that said the police actually did look into that room she was covered by a blanket wasn't she but she was in like a corner like um so that if you just looked like opened the door and looked into the room and the way the light was falling in the morning when he Mm -hmm. looked in there he wouldn't have seen her and he didn't step into that room. Right. But then in the afternoon, but if he didn't have the light on, he wouldn't have seen. And you know what I mean? I know what you mean, mom. It doesn't make any sense. Because her body wasn't right there. It was towards, you had to open the door completely and almost have the light on in order to see it. And she was covered by a white, her favorite white blanket. Now, Linda Arndt was very suspicious of the family from the beginning. Mm -hmm. I mean, so much so that when 
the body was brought up and the body's laying underneath the Christmas tree. She knelt down next to John and quietly counted the bullets in her holster. Mm -hmm. She was just that convinced that the murderer was in the house. Yeah. That's just, I mean, she's a detective. She She's reading, she's reading it all. She's taking it all in. And like I mentioned, actually one of her biggest tells was the fact that that eight to 10 time frame that the ransom note stated. One of the biggest actions to make Linda Arndt believe the family had something to do with it, what made her the most suspicious of the parents, was that deadline. As and if they knew there would never be a call. They, it alludes to the fact that they already knew that their daughter was dead. Or the note was written so quickly they forgot the details they wrote in it. Oh, geez. Another thing about John Ramsey, mom mentioned that they went to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And just pointing out just how odd that is a police officer that day, the body is found. A police officer overhears John calling their private pilot to fly them to Atlanta. Oh, and by the way, they had their lawyers with them immediately. When I say lawyers, I don't mean one or two. This is just they had a flock of lawyers this with is them. Hours after their daughter is found dead. Yeah. And he and wants I'm gonna call to get my private pilot to get us out of here mm-hmm. to Atlanta. Now he said later that it was because the police told them that they needed to get out of the house because now this is a crime scene. And they're like, well, we wanted to, we wanted to go to, we wanted to go home. We wanted to go to a home and our home is in Atlanta. Okay. But, they had friends that offered to them and to that's stay fine. with us. I understand you want to go to a home. You have Burke, you know, you, you, you want to go to a comfortable place. Are you kidding me though? If my kid was found, I would want to be in every second of that investigation. I wanted, I would want to have my feet in Denver figuring out what the heck happened. And what it was three days in there. I wouldn't were, want to go to Atlanta. They were out of there. Yep. So like I mentioned, the next thing on my notes is that Patsy was queen of pointing fingers. She pointed out, like I said, the housekeeper. Uh, I already mentioned that she pointed fingers at Fleet White, the neighbor. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but why are you going to be friends with somebody that you're going to end up suspecting is killing your daughter? Like, good friends like you were just there for christmas for christmas no they were best friends but now i'm going to point fingers at you and say that you killed my daughter why are you friends with somebody that you think is going to kill your daughter i don't know and i think you might have even abused my daughter because they they were getting that she might have been sexually abused because of the abrasions yeah okay take a breath beth we're going to actually move outside of the family to some theories outside of yes, the family. Yes, because there are many there, too. Um, I'm only going to cover a couple. I'm going to start with Ollie Gray. No, he's not a suspect. He was the family's longtime private investigator. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so Ollie Gray is the PI for the family. He named uh, Michael Helgoff as a possible suspect. Michael was an electrician at an auto salvage yard nearby, and he and John were apparently in some kind of a property dispute. There's no details on what that property is or what the dispute was, but they were in some kind of, quote, property dispute at the time of the murder. Uh, I guess there was a boot print apparently found near the Ramsey home the police identified, and allegedly it was similar to his 
Okay. Boots. Uh, now, this is all allegedly, you know, boot prints being similar to Michael Helgoth's. What is fact is that in 1977, police had a public press conference where the Boulder DA announced that they were closing in on a potential suspect. Two days after that, Michael committed suicide. Oh, geez. Oh. So is this telling? Is this coincidence? We don't know. Uh, another theory I'm sure you guys have all heard of is the Santa theory. Bill McReynolds, he was a very close friend to the Ramses. Again, why be friends and associate yourself with somebody you think is a bad person? I don't know. But they're very close friends. He was an older man and he dressed up as Santa Claus the week before the murder. Uh, he dressed as Santa for the neighborhood Christmas party. Mm-hmm. Did you hear this theory? I saw pictures, but I didn't. Okay. So he's a big theory. Rumor had it that he paid a lot of attention to John Bonet, and apparently he made some kind of a comment that she was his special friend or that she was going to get some kind of a special visit from Santa on Christmas. Oh, yeah. But, like, why make Santa dirty? Like, this guy went in for heart surgery, and she gave him a vial of glitter. Like, oh. he's just a sweet old man. He's a sweet old man who dressed like Santa, guys. Like, and what's wrong with saying you're going to get a special little visit from Santa? Why make that dirty? He probably well, said it to most of the kids that were there. You're giving a child magic on Christmas. Like, I know there's no answer to this case. So now people are going down every rabbit hole. But I'm done talking about Santa. I think that theory is just so silly to me. Okay, the next one is Gary... Olivia, uh, he was a known sex offender in the area. Can I add here? There were 29 sex offenders within a two mile radius of their in house. In a two mile radius? Oh, of their house. Oh my gosh. <sighs> okay. In 2000, he was arrested on drug charges and police found a magazine cutout photo of Jean Bonnet in his backpack. Ooh. Um, I don't think he was really considered by police or really looked into, which that Ollie Gray, the the PI, was really upset about. He thinks the police really messed up on this because they arrested him for the drugs, but then he was released. But then there was this high school friend of Olivia. His name was Michael Vale. And he claimed that Olivia called him like really distraught around the time of the murder. Mm -hmm. And he said on the phone, quote, I hurt a little girl. I hurt a little girl. Oh, my gosh. And then he also told Michael, this Vale guy, uh, told In Touch magazine that he was really bothered by how the knots used in the homemade garrote mm -hmm. to strangle Jean Benet. Those knots apparently were the same ones used by Olivia when he attempted to choke his mother with a telephone cord. Okay. Mom rolled her face at me. But that is what this Michael Vale claimed of this guy, Gary Olivia. Oh, my gosh. Another odd tie to Olivia is that when he was arrested, he was arrested with a stun gun. He had a stun oh gun on him. Oh, my gosh. So... He was cleared by DNA. Oh, that blood splatter. Yeah. The blood drop. Where the hell did that blood drop come from? I don't know. Somebody cut themselves coming into that window? I don't know, Mom. No. One that little drop. One little drop. It was teeny tiny. I said splatter. I know. That was a total mistake. It was a teeny tiny drop on her underpants. 
Yeah, he got cleared by DNA. Uh, he was arrested and put in jail for two counts of sexual exploitation of a child and for possessing child pornography. So regardless, he's oh, a good. total creep, but he's in jail. There are so many other theories that, I mean, there was another guy who was arrested. Uh, he was a teacher and he basically, he claimed he did it. He was like mm. emailing a documentarian who was covering this case and it was very like, sexual about John Bonet and he was like obsessed with her in a sexual way and that he's like I did it and it was like a sex game gone wrong I mean this guy was a total creep he was hiding out in Thailand oh good lord because of stuff with children in the United States I mean but it was just bad all around why did they do that Falsely anyway we, we always I know. run into I know. people like that it's for the publicity. The, the I don't know. I want to know the answer of this case so badly. So do many people. I think uh, because the contamination of the scene and the hidden things in the grand jury mm -hmm. um, papers. Which you almost don't blame them for keeping some things quiet. You understand that those things have to be kept quiet. So if they've... A person does really come forward with the right information and true but i think a lot of things were also hidden because the family was affluent and the da didn't want to ruffle too many feathers bingo <sighs> do i think the family did it i i don't know i i mm -hmm. honestly don't know like, I, I mean, two forensic psychologists that are extremely intelligent psychologists well Pitt, unfortunately, Dr. Pitt has been murdered, but very intelligent men can't even uh, decide on the ransom note, whether it was written internally or by these, this facet of foreign legion people or whatever they whatever call they themselves. Whatever they claim themselves in that 30-minute <laughs> yeah. written letter. <laughs> oh. Cases like this will only be solved once in a blue moon. Maybe. Maybe. But it's a good thing we brought the whole six-pack down. ba da bump. It's time to call it a night. <laughs> time to call it a night, Mom. We <sighs> could sit down here and chat, especially because we get different information from different resources. I know. And argue these Beth is details looking at, Beth is all looking night. at me like, I didn't read that. I didn't read that. <laughs> Where are your sources? I didn't read that. <laughs> you're not going to hear any of those <laughs> any of that arguing because I will edit it all out. <laughs> Yikes. I'm like, I swear to God, I'm not making this up. <laughs> I didn't see that. <laughs> well, I didn't see that. Mom, I saw the ransom note was left on the basement stairs. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, that's why we have fun. Wow. All right. Yeah. Something. Such a sad, 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 sad story. Poor baby. It is sad. Well, this is probably one of our longest episodes, but... And I'm sorry, there's no paranormal, but I think you can understand we have You'll to You'll be cover. raking, racking, raking your brains. What do you say? <laughs> racking. Racking your brains? Well, they're not raking them. <laughs> Maybe they are. With different theories. Go search them. Go listen to the 911 call yourself. Go 
go start digging yourselves. It's a really interesting case. Yeah. I mean, it surely is. Okay. Uh, so. This one, this this was extra long, but we will not be releasing an episode next week. Sorry. We will not. But you all are Spend doing time your, with your family. Doing your holiday stuff Spend time and with New your Year's friends. stuff. And we are going to be doing that stuff also. And or spend your time raking your brains with this case. <laughs> that six pack is gone, by the way. <laughs> While you're drinking your blue moon. All right. But so, we, yeah, will we, will, we will be back. We will be back next year. See you next year. Oh, that joke's going to get so old so quick, but my gosh. See you next year, folks. Fastest year ever. I swear. I know. 2021 was just warm. Warm. Yep. We will be back January 3rd of 2022. Monday the 3rd. Monday the 3rd. Patrons, though, you get us on the 1st. The 1st. That's right. So become a patron. Buy us another six pack. Thank you, by the way, to all of our patrons. Um, all right. Happy holidays. Yes. Happy holidays to everybody. I hope everybody stays safe in all of their travels. You will find all of the photos and resources that we talked about on our website, killerhangoverpodcast.com. Follow us on social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Try on all those sources, all those social things. What are they called? Social medias? Yep. <laughs> All right. We're checking out. <laughs> you have checked out. <laughs> Love you, kid. Oh. <laughs> Cheers, mama. <laughs> Cheers. Love you, kid.